that lead up to the sermons that are preached here at First Lutheran. This is Pastor Brian. This is Pastor Perry. And uh, since I'm preaching this Sunday, this is the, the text from Jeremiah 33, 14 through 18. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, and to make grain offerings, and to make sacrifices for all time. And our corresponding gospel lesson is from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea of Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. Well, it appears Peter got it right. At least that's what what we would believe. Yeah. Um, and as you go to that, uh, the text in Jeremiah, they are looking for uh, Messiah to be a part of that branch of David, uh, to bring justice and righteousness. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I've just kind of so the context of. Uh, Jeremiah here, we're looking at uh, people. So Jeremiah, they think, was in the city while uh, Jerusalem was being destroyed and taken over. So it's kind of happening at at that point. Um, They also think that the readers of it would have been people who are living in exile, looking back at this situation and uh, seeing how God was speaking into that situation. So a couple of things, hopeful things stand out there to me. One, the Lord is our righteousness. Uh, So you've got this promise there that it's in God's hands to get this right. You know, when you think of that word righteousness or to put things in a right relationship, um, the Lord is going to get it right. And they've watched their beloved city be destroyed. They're living in exile. So they're, they're hoping for something um, that falls outside of their own hands or control in a good way here because so much has happened to them uh, negatively here. The other thing that kind of stood out as I was looking over this text, too. So we, we read a lot about David uh, or the branch of Jesse and the promise of a Messiah there. I was kind of interested in the, Levit- the Levitical priest um, and why that promise was important. So went back to looking at that in the book of Deuteronomy. And it says the, the Levites or the Levitical priest um, will not have an inheritance uh, and so we think about the importance of inheritance and sustaining a family and a people from generation to generation. But it says the the Levites will not have an inheritance, but God will be their inheritance, or the Lord will be their inheritance. So again, I'm thinking for people who are looking around and, and thinking, 
anything that they might possibly have to pass on or give as an inheritance to future generations has been destroyed, or you've got, you've got a people who are living away in exile, they're enslaved to a foreign nation. They don't have anything to, to give away. Um, but these Levitical priests, what they have, their inheritance in the Lord, that's something that no circumstance or situation um, can take away from them. And so to think about maybe with this holiday season here coming up to um, things that that uh, kind of ties back to some of the stuff we were talking about last week, but things that we hope to give to future generations. Um, and there's something really powerful here, I think, about an inheritance we can pass along that uh, that isn't bound to anything that we do or have, have failed to do. Right, because that that inheritance isn't about what we possess monetarily or possessions or anything that is essentially a a worldly gift or a possession, it's just your faith and how important that faith that faith is in terms of um, knowing where we are in connection to God. And that, like you said, it's not us that, that do it. It is the Lord is our righteousness. Because every time we are challenged to be just and right, more, than, more often than not, we end up messing it up. Yeah, I think the other, as you're talking about that, one of the other things, too, so if you happen to be worshiping with our community here at First Lutheran as we go into the season of Advent, we're really trying to tie in this theme of uh, repentance or how this encounter with God and God entering into our circumstances uh, reorients us or, or sets our eyes on this hope of Christ coming into our lives. Um, so again, it kind of makes me think of what you were just saying there about how this reorienting is happening there in this season that it's easy to get over-focused on gift-giving or gift-receiving, gift and, and don't get me wrong, uh, if my family's listening to this, I, I like to get gifts and give gifts too. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, um, to be reoriented or um, to have our hope and, and to be hopeful about a gift that's been given to us in Christ that we have to give to others too. Um, something that uh, lasts for generations, um, for all time. Yeah, really has to hit home for that house of Israel or the, the, the land of Israel, the people where everything that they have had is now gone and destroyed. Their kingdom, their wealth, their pride, all of that is gone. Babylon came in and took it and destroyed it and drug them off to Babylon, and there they are, exiles. And so they really have nothing but their faith and, and the clothes on their backs, and they have now have to trust in that faith in, in God, whereas before they were trusting in their own works, their own skills and talents and, and gifts. Where interesting there is that Jesus comes out and asks, who do you say that I am? And it's interesting that the choices that they give are all dead. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. So these are all people from the past. They are all have gone. And like a reincarnated John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets, but Peter gets it, and he says, you are the Messiah. And that was a, 
interesting, as I was reading about this, where in talking about our faith, we look at what Jeremiah is saying and we point to Christ and say, yep, he's the one, Jesus is the one. But for the Jewish nation, they're not buying what Peter said, that Jesus was the Messiah. They're still looking for the Messiah to come that will fulfill the promises in the ways that they understood them. And so that's an interesting dichotomy that's kind of going on there, because Jesus didn't look like any of those, really. I mean, he did, but then he he didn't act and end up the same way either. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at that. I'm exaggerating here, but stars, if you will, that's come before. You're going to be another rock star like uh, these folks that have come before. The, the interesting that I was picking up on, too, when you were talking about that was all of those uh, prophets, um, well, that's that's what they all are, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets, they all pointed to Christ. It's interesting that uh, then Christ is not pointing to anyone else. He's saying, I'm it. <laughs> Stop looking. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm it. Right. And then we don't have it in this text, but for me, it, 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 the next part is always interesting, where Jesus then goes on to say, and here's what the Messiah is going to do. And, and, it's, and it's a really bad campaign speech, and that <laughs> Jesus says, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be killed, and after three days, I'm going to rise again. Yeah, and it's like Peter is his campaign manager and says, "Whoa, <laughs> Jesus! Nope, nope. We can't talk about things like that. Let me come on over here. We need to have a secret conversation, and I'm going to straighten you out." And Jesus really hits it to him and says, "Get thee behind me, Satan! Yeah. Um, you're you're not understanding what this this mission is about." And to me, that's that's always a an interesting twist in that in that story. Yeah, and so where I'm reading back into that with the place in Jeremiah, too, and uh, I, I want to give credit where, Stu, you brought this up before, but um, Perry was talking about how with this Messiah who goes contrary to a, a campaign that's a, a glory campaign of, yes, we finally come out the victors and instead dies, what we get there is this reminder, this promise that Christ shows up uh, not in the mountaintop glory scene in our lives necessarily, but uh, in those scenes of the cross. And that's exactly what these people in the telling of the Jeremiah text are needing, to know that God hasn't abandoned them in the middle of their city being destroyed, or if it's the people living in exile, looking back at this situation and uh, being reminded that God was present in that time and place and continues to be with them and continues to uh, bear that promise of hope that he can even overcome death and sin and evil in the world, things that that come between us and one another and us and God. Yeah, because that is such a stark comparison. They are not by any means on a mountaintop experience. They are as about as low as it gets. Everything is gone other than, well, and for some of them, it was their life was gone. But for the ones who are still alive, that's really all they have left. And to be at that low point, how do you find hope? How do you find strength to move on to the next day. But what is something that you thought was inconceivable a while ago that is now possible today?
In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. I think for the people at that point, they can't even comprehend that because the Assyrians had destroyed Israel, the northern part of the kingdom, a number of years before. I think it was 70-some years. And now they've been um, have the Babylon Babylonians on their north. They've got the Egyptians on the south, and they've been making these treaties with each of them, hoping that they won't get caught in the in the crossfire. Basically, playing both sides if they can. And Babylon finally says, "Forget it, and we're just taking you out." And they go in and take them out. And so they're so used to being to being vulnerable to have have it say, in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. It's this almost inconceivable notion. And as I was thinking about it, what, what seems inconceivable? For me, if we go back to when I was in high school, to have a cell phone, to have a phone that you could have with you that you could call somebody seemed inconceivable. We had FM radios where you could you could push the button and talk, you know, and go, uh, hey, you know, good buddy, ten four, you know, <laughs> over and out, and all those kind of things, and those would reach a number of miles. But to call anybody around the world, anywhere, anytime, um, is a pretty ab- amazing thing that seems incomprehensible. And so, for me, one of the questions would be: Is what is something today that seems impossible? in in your life uh, and and in the world today and then can Christ bring hope into that Peter's question of or Jesus question first to the disciples of who do you say that I am and thinking about as we're in this season of advent how do you think about who Jesus is and and uh how does that shape the way that you think about the time and the season and and his influence in your life? Um, so we were kind of talking about a couple paintings that hang in our sanctuary, one of a nativity and Christ being born in, into the manger there in that scene, and then also uh, right next to it hangs a painting of a picture of the crucifixion. We kind of tend to focus on the nativity during as we're heading into Advent and, and Christmas here, and I don't want to take people away from that, but perhaps to add that other image of the cross or the crucifixion beside that, um, do those two images side by side change the way that you think about the Christmas season and what Christ coming into this world means? Well, as you were asking the question, though, what struck me was so often we treat Jesus as Santa Claus. Oh, sure. Hey, Jesus, here's what I need today. Please bring it. Thank you. Yeah. I've been mostly good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although you probably know, but, you know, I did blow it a couple of times, but mostly good. Yeah, right. At Thanksgiving, my brother-in-law was talking about an article that he read on there's some substance that basically makes people invisible or tanks or planes and the light reflects in strange ways and you can't even tell it's there so radar won't detect it eyesight you can't detect it 
That is con- inconceivable. Yeah, I mean, and it, I it, can only imagine <laughs> misuse. And I'm yeah, I'm thinking, man, that would be bad. Yeah, <laughs> brings me back to a question. So this is like a, a party question. Would you uh, rather have the ability to fly or to be invisible? <laughs> I remember getting asked this question at a party by a certain someone. Oh, really? And then getting busted when I said invisible. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who would do that. 